Alright, good evening. It's nice to be with you again. I enjoyed the interaction with the group last night, and hopefully we can have some more of the same tonight as we look at additional chapters in the book of Acts. For those of you that haven't been here before, this is the outline that we're following this week. Last night we talked about being commissioned to go. Tonight is strengthened by God, and then proclaiming the gospel and fulfilling the mission coming up later this week. So, um, just to clarify in, in the, the sense of how we're looking at the book of Acts this week, because of the extreme amounts of material that are there, we're following this outline, uh, which ne necessitates skipping quite a bit of content, unfortunately. So we're, we're not necessarily going through every verse for sure not, and sometimes perhaps not even every chapter. A little bit of follow-up um, from last night. Uh, we had the discussion about whether Peter jumped the gun there in... in uh, Chapter 2, I think it was. And I had some questions from people, and I, I, they, they were asking me about what I thought about the use of the lot, which was a good question. So um, I, I, I thought about it that it looks like I'm saying here that Peter jumped the gun um, with his encouraging the other apostles to, to use the lot to replace Judas. Uh, that, that's my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that's gospel fact. That, that's how the passage looks to me. But anyway, back to the question that I got. Uh, several people asked me if, well, does, if, if, if Peter really did jump the gun, does, then that, does that then mean that the use of the lot is wrong? And my answer, and again, this is my opinion. I, maybe some of you feel differently. I don't know. But I, I really separate Peter's action in trying to help God fulfill those prophecies from his use of the lot. I have no problem with the use of the lot. I think it's a very biblical precedent. So uh, I would say it this way. In, in other words, if Peter was indeed supposed to do what he did, then they did exactly the right thing by using the lot. But um, as far as I'm concerned, the, the use of the lot is, is perfectly fine and even was perfectly fine for them once they decided that they needed to replace Judas. What, what my opinion is, as far as Peter jumping the gun, is that I don't think that he should have even gone to the whole concept of replacing Judas. I don't think it was in his place, and I don't think it was God's plan. But again, that's my opinion. And does that clear that up? Does that kind of make sense? I, I don't think Peter's action means that the lot is wrong at all. Do any of you have follow-up comments on that? Okay. Um, I have this slide next. I just thought I'd toss this out. These are the individual reports that I have in mind for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, we do have two people on for the little one-minute reports later on tonight, which is nice. And so I thought I'd toss this out. Uh, would, there, would any of you like to volunteer to give us a very short 45-second or one-minute report on any of these focuses? It would be either tomorrow night or Thursday night. Any volunteers for any of these four? Okay. Tomorrow evening. Good, thanks. Okay. We'll leave that for now. Thank you, Calvin. As far as tonight, um, as we have done the past evening or two, I, I like to look at uh, what I call an alternate outline or an alternate way of looking at the book of Acts and slicing and dicing and categorizing and classifying and so on. So tonight I chose one from 
I'm calling it Bible Study Tools. I think that's actually a website, if I remember right, BibleStudyTools.com, I think. Anyway, the, the writer there, uh, in, in his particular perspective, he looked strictly at the sermons in the book of Acts, and I found it very intriguing. And he said, and, and I hadn't even thought about it, that pretty much all the sermons in the book of Acts follow a common structure and a common way of presenting whatever they were presenting. And this is what he gives us. This is the, the writer at BibleStudyTools.com. I'm going to read through it. I, I think it's kind of interesting, and, and I, I think he's probably right. Just about every sermon in the book of Acts, and maybe every sermon, goes through these points. I'm going to read it. I don't, it's small type because I had to fit it all in, but it goes like this. The age, of, the age of fulfillment predicted in the Old Testament has dawned. The promises have been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. Number two, this has taken place in Jesus of Nazareth. He, A, was descended from the seed of David. B, went about teaching, doing good, and executing mighty works by the power of God through which God indicated his approval of him. Letter C, was crucified in accordance with the purpose of God. And letter D, was raised by the power of God. Number three, the church is witness of these things. Number four, Jesus has been exalted into heaven at the right hand of God, where he reigns as the messianic head of the new Israel with the title Lord. Number five, the Holy Spirit in the church is now the seal of God's present power and glory. Number six, Jesus will come again for judgment and the restoration of all things. Number seven, therefore, all who hear should repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And uh, we've covered, I I think, only one sermon so far that was in chapter 2. And and this outline is remarkably what exactly, pretty much exactly what you read in chapter 2 where Peter was giving his famous sermon. So I thought that was interesting. I'm certain that this outline certainly doesn't look at the whole book. It mostly just looks at the sermons. Um, And then that same writer that, that I got this from summarized it with the bottom statement here. The apostolic message can also be summarized in Paul's words, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that really right there is the crux of Christianity and that's what we're about, that's what we're all about here tonight. Any comments on that? Yeah, that was always part of it, yeah. yeah. And then depending on the audience, they reacted very differently to that as well. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? All right, then, going on to the main outline for tonight. Uh, it's titled, uh, or subtitled, in, in the course of the week, subtitled, Strengthened by God. So tonight we look at Peter and John and Stephen in Acts 4, 5, and 6. You're welcome to turn there, especially Acts 4. I don't know that we're necessarily starting at verse 1, but the area of Acts 4 and 5, Peter and John persecuted. Now this was um, when they were in the process of preaching at the temple, and they made the religious leaders quite angry, as a matter of fact. Or maybe that's not a true statement. I I just said they made the religious leaders angry. Maybe it's more that the religious leaders allowed themselves to become angry because the conviction of God was upon them. That's probably more accurate. I I noticed as I 
studied and, and looked at uh, some details about this particular passage that I, one writer I looked at had the phrase strength to suffer. And I thought that was kind of fitting. Strength to suffer. And then when we get to Stephen, it's a different phrase, similar but different. So, you know, today in, in, in our culture here in the United States, there's quite a bit of religious liberty, and I, I, I don't think that we know really what it is to suffer, certainly not very much. I kind of feel like I'm suffering tonight because I'm tired, but that doesn't count. So I, I think I'm probably correct in saying that, that we probably don't know too much what it means to suffer. I mean, certainly not in the way that these two men suffered, being hauled off to prison because they were preaching about Jesus. Now that happens sometimes here in America, but not much, at least not compared to how it happened in, here in these New Testament accounts. And the, the interesting thing, um, I, I believe I mentioned this last night, there, there seems to be a trend in the book of Acts where when the apostles were hauled off to jail and um, kind of forced, I don't know if forced is the right word, but forced to answer for what, for why they were doing this. You know, what in the world are you guys thinking? That's, that's more or less what the, what the Pharisees wanted to, wanted to know. Who gave you the authority to talk like this, that kind of thing? Most of the time, it was that that kind of inter, interaction, interaction seems to be a, a nice word. Most of the time, that, I don't know what the word is, the, 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 the hypocrisy, the, the persecution, I guess that's the word I want. The persecution coming from the Jewish leaders was not usually prompted by what Peter and John did, but these religious leaders were clearly, clearly convicted strongly. And that led to anger in their hearts, and I think it was more of an issue of they just wanted to get rid of these guys, whatever it took, which is right there a lesson for us. If we feel conviction, do we try to get rid of it, maybe by being angry at people? Or do we think to the crux of the matter and about why we're convicted and maybe fixing something in our own life? You know, how, how do you think these stories about Peter and John persecuted, how do you think it would have been different if the Jewish leaders would have acknowledged the conviction for what it was instead of just becoming angry and trying to remove the conviction? How would the story have been different? Do you think that the church would have grown as rapidly? I don't know. It's just questions. Yes, you're correct. Many of the priests were obedient. That could have stirred up the whole idea of um, retribution. Mm-hmm. Persecution mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry, were you finished? Yeah. And reading into that, I, I would surmise um, that, that the part of the Jewish leader's anger here was their fear of their control being broken, especially if some of the priests went ahead, well, went ahead, especially if some of the priests were, were honest basically, and, and heeded the conviction that they felt and joined the, the Christ movement, I can kind of surmise that the other Jewish leaders were afraid that their control would be broken and, and they were out to do whatever, it, whatever they could to stop it. The, the human heart often wants control, and, and that's kind of part of the human nature. It probably goes back to pride. This whole verse might fit very well with what you said. Acts 
some of the disciples multiplied and grew from greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Yeah, and, and didn't, don't we see the same type of concept back in the Gospels as well, in the life of Jesus, where he was bringing truth, and the truth clashed with the religious leaders and what the religious leaders thought should be happening, but they were wrong, and they were losing control, and they hated it. So I, I'd like to just you know, circle that around to us today. So we're, we're still humans here. Uh, we're obviously 2,000 years later, but so how do, we, how, how do we respond when there's conviction in our hearts? Or uh, maybe not conviction, but when, when someone approaches us and, and gives us a comment or something that just, whoa, catches us off guard because we've never really thought about it because it, it challenges what we thought was right. Is it, do we just get angry immediately? Or do we think about the, the core of the of the discussion. So it's, it's interesting to me to think about what would have happened, how would some of these stories, how would the book of Acts have been different if the Jewish leaders would have actually said, you know, what he is saying rings true, and he has Old Testament, and what the Old Testament says makes sense with what they're saying. Let's listen more closely to him. And, you know, we don't see that at all, but that would have been, I, I think, a much more appropriate response on their part. So hopefully today in our lives, if uh, hopefully we're reasonable in the sense that when we hear something that at least at the first strikes us as being way wrong, that perhaps we uh, for sure at least not just get angry and brush it off. I found it interesting too about the, the focus on obedience here. So I, I, I just put a note, they didn't stop, you know, and and. Hear me out here. I'm just going to make an observation about Mennonite culture in general. But you know, when when we get up against when when our churches or when us personally, I guess is a better way, when we get up against what would maybe be a brick wall or or conflict or um, uh, a, a a confrontation or that kind of, what we often do is say, well, let's stop and maybe consider, maybe set up a committee to look at the problem. We're pretty good at setting up committees to look at problems and that kind of thing. And, and so not that committees are wrong, but I just noticed that when Peter and John were persecuted, they didn't stop. And in our human frailty, what, what we often tend to do when we're up against conflict is we tend to pull back and say, whoa, do I want to keep going? And do a risk analysis what happens if I keep going? Do I want to keep going? Do I want to deal with the persecution that might come? So I found it interesting that Peter and John didn't stop it. I didn't see any record that, that they paused and thought about it for a day or two. And, um, you know, let's go home and think about this. And then, and then somebody from the church encouraged them, so they kept going. There's nothing like that. It wasn't even really on their radar to stop. It didn't seem that way. And so what I see there is just a simple obedience where they had their commands from their Lord, and they were, they were, they were going to do that, regardless of if man disagreed with that. And I, can, I, I really appreciate that lesson there of simple obedience. And the other thing that uh, I, I noticed from another writer that was, he was writing about that concept of obedience is that when you look at the record here, um, it's, it's clear that God continually gave these people protection and strength as they kept going. 
The protection and strength came there in their journey. Was obedience actually their strength? And Dave, you were going to say something. Okay, so what I was referring to, that they didn't stop. You're saying there was encouragement in the process. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, because I, I, I was kind of implying that it was a rapid fire, kind of like a race, and, and you're right, it wasn't that way. Did you have any more comments on your question? Yeah, the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. That's that's a different way of wording what I was trying to convey here. That uh, they they knew what they were about. They knew what their Lord was about, and they were intent on doing exactly that. Not too many people rejoice when you get beaten. It's pretty uncommon. Strength to suffer. Mm-hmm. Good. I thought, too, about religious liberty in the United States today, and I, I remember telling my class when I taught at Weavertown School that I, I can't imagine, it, it doesn't make sense to me that the religious liberty that we enjoy today will keep going forever into the future. That's not the trend that nations usually follow and I, I still think that. I, mean, I have no idea what the timing is, but uh, I think someday religious liberty as we know it probably won't be the case. And so but j- just a question. So, you know, what, would, what if you would have been with Peter and John that day? What if it would have been Peter and John and you? When the religious leaders came along and said, what are you guys doing? And tossed them in the jail and then hauled them in the court. Or today. And so this is a hypothetical, but, you know, maybe 20 years from now, the religious liberty outlook in the United States is completely different because the Supreme Court has handed down some key decisions. And, um, you know, again, it's hypothetical. But what would you do? What will we do? As far as being Christians and not just being kind of gray, kind of compromising to get along with the government if they try to start stamping out Christianity in, in some way, shape, or form. I think it's a question we should consider. Here's a quote that I found. They obeyed the command to preach and believe the promise of Christ that he would be with them and supply them with the power necessary to obey. 
And that made me think, I don't know if this is a real good example or not, but it made me think of the, the quote that you hear sometimes. If someone tells you to jump, you shouldn't pause around and ask how high. You should jump first and then ask how high on the way up. That's kind of what these guys re remind me of, where they, they knew what their Lord was about. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they, they got marching orders on the march. And I appreciate that example of obedience. which God has given to those that obey him. Yeah. So obedience is a crucial part of the Christian life. Yes. I didn't I didn't hear that last part. Okay. Look at the alternative. Yes, good. All right, moving on then to Stephen. Uh, the, earlier I discussed the, the term strength to suffer. Here we have the term strength to die. Strength to die. That sounds kind of dark, I know, but we are talking about the, the, the first Christian martyr here. The Bible describes him as being full of faith in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you noticed that phrase or not, but it caught my eye. I, I think that was the reason he could die. He was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and, and the account there is pretty remarkable how in, in his vision, heaven was open and he could see Jesus at the, the right hand of God, so he, he had faith all right, and he had the Holy Spirit all right. The Bible says he was full of them. And so beyond being the reason that Stephen could die, I think that's a, a very good direct teaching for us right from the Word of God, because the, the Bible holds this man up as one of the, one of the heroes of the New Testament and so the, when the Bible describes him, it follows then that we should look at that description and try to be the same in our lives. If, if he's a hero, then we should be like him, or, or we should take his, his life as an example at least. And the Bible says he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I think of that in relation to uh, what the, the children's lesson at the beginning of the meeting here tonight about our priority with time so that, that's what this reminds me of. So in our lives today, you know, what, what is our priority to be full of? Maybe that's a question that all of us can go home and consider. Well, moving along, does anybody have any comments on Stephen? It doesn't quite feel right to me to not spend more time on some of these events and men, but in the interest of keeping moving, I guess we won't unless you have more comments. I don't know. That's not something I looked at. So I, I don't know if we just chalk that up to Luke's attention to detail that he happened or if there's actually a lesson if we would dig deeper into those names and figure out who they were. I suspect there's a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Going on then to more application questions. 
Uh, the, we've already talked about obedience and joy, but I, I would like to make the point here um, that I, I didn't really phrase it this way before, but the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a commonality of obedience and joy in the book of Acts. It often says that you know, the disciples were filled with joy or, or something to that effect, or if the apostles were in prison, they were singing, or there's often some kind of reference of joy, even in the midst of the suffering and the death. And so, you know, what about us today? Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention is that the, and this is kind of a, a different way of, of looking at the focus of these men, but, but basically they didn't really care what the earthly consequences were. And it was that thought that prompted me to think about, you know, how would we respond to persecution in the future? So there, there wasn't a lot of concern about the earthly consequences. And I think that we can take a lesson from that in our life right here, right now, tonight, 2017, that um, earthly consequences are certainly, or should at least in our hearts, be on a much, much lower concern to us than simple obedience to the Word of God. And uh, one of the books that I'm using uh, had this quote as far as being bold and obeying, um, it had this quote, ask God to provide the strength you need to be bold and obey. So uh, I think a, a good reminder that of what someone mentioned it just a few minutes ago, and I forget who it was now, that, that the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us is, is the key to bringing that strength to obey. It's not really a human strength. And it's not really a human effort. It's a spiritual man effort. Strength directly from the Holy Spirit. The other thing that, that is interesting in just looking at these stories about Peter and John suffering, Stephen dying, they were yielded. So that's yet another way of, of painting all of these, these lessons for us. So have we heard the message from God and have we yielded to it? And that's two different things. hearing the message from God and yielding to it. And in, and in these men's case, it, it, it uh, well, the, the term, the cup running over comes to mind. Because what, what, what happened to them, earthly consequences like suffering or death, just simply didn't matter. They were going to obey their Lord, and that was their intent, and that's what they did. So have we heard and yielded? It's a question for all of us to consider. Attitudes towards circumstances on earth. That's uh, something that, uh, that I thought about. Um, so what's our attitude toward difficulty, like maybe financial difficulty or maybe um, medical issues or health issues or um, maybe, I don't know, maybe our friend made us mad the other day. But well, So what's our attitude towards circumstances on earth? And there's an umpteen examples in the Bible about this very thing. I mean, even David comes to mind, you know, where Absalom, his son, was rebelling against him. But what did he do? And so these men here in Acts show us yet again that, that as Christians, as the people of God, it is imperative. It is part of being a, a person of God that, that we keep the circumstances on earth in their proper place. Yes, they, they are part of life here on earth, but that our perspective is toward the heavenly perspective and that we don't let circumstances on earth uh, run us off course or get us off the track. Could someone please look up Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2? 
Okay, just as soon as I heard a voice over here somewhere, I'm not sure who. Good, thank you. Okay, it's time for the individual reports. Uh, who was on for? I have some 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 uh, content from Jethro. Who was on for the other one? Okay, go ahead. That's a practical lesson from Acts. Jethro Fisher emailed this to me on uh, the, the shift from the Old Testament way of living and thinking to the New Testament, which uh, we understand from the book of Acts was a huge issue there for the early church. Uh, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing here, but I'll at least read through the, the first half. And this is from Jethro Fisher. The Jewish community who followed Jesus and later formed the early church experienced massive paradigm shifts uncircumcised Gentile, quote, dogs who ate pork, worshipped on Wednesdays, and never had an animal sacrifice to cover their sin were considered by early Jewish Christians to be the worst of humanity. Yet, these same people eventually found a place in the early Christian church without ever repenting of these sins. And by the way, that's us. We eat pork and we worship other times on Sundays and we've never had an animal sacrifice for our sins. And then he also, Jethro also said, the understanding and belief that Jesus was the exact image of God, and he quotes Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, was probably the most significant realization for the early church to come to terms with. So that's from Jethro. I'm giving you just a few more seconds to get that read, and then I'm going to move on. I've got one more slide. All right, if you want to read that more later, just give me a shout. So this is the last slide for tonight. Um, in preparation for tomorrow, think about the history of salvation, which may seem like an open-ended question, but tomorrow we're going to talk about the history of salvation. And with that, is there anything else that you would like to discuss to say quickly tonight or specific questions that we can discuss tomorrow? Thank you. Maybe we'll touch on that tomorrow night. How do we tell when someone is filled with the Spirit? Okay. Thank you.